Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. To get these, this podcast going, I'd just like to let you know that we do have some online coaching spaces available at the moment um, because we noticed that we've been putting this at the end of the episode all the time. And to be honest, once people start talking sales in a podcast, I kind of stop listening sometimes. So just to let you know, we do have online coaching spaces available. If you'd like to work with myself or Patty one-on-one online towards your goals, whether it be strength focused, muscle gain focused, fat loss focused, or even rehab, um, then we can talk about those goals and get you going in that process. You'll find information about that below. We won't hit you with any more greasy sales stuff for now. Let's get into this week's topic, which is, Patty. So today's topic is effectively a continuation of the last two podcasts, well, the two main podcasts uh, we have been doing, not the Q&A ones. Uh, and it, we've effectively been talking all stuff programming because we've got a few questions in from the group, the Facebook group, which, of course, you should be in if you are interested in this stuff. Um, and a few other places, Instagram, that kind of stuff. And I've just kind of bunched them all together and made them more kind of succinct in terms of what the actual topic being asked is, right? And the next part of this discussion, and we've touched on it a few times, because again, like this discussion does overlap with all the stuff that we've discussed before. So again, you should listen to those first or other two or three podcasts to really get a full experience of this. But the next thing we need to discuss is the, essentially the pros and cons, if you will, of adding weights to the bar, you know, versus adding reps versus adding sets, right? Because obviously we've discussed this to an extent with all the, the last few things we've been discussing, you know, you know, if we're talking about uh, the last podcast, you know, and effectively, you know, hitting failure and that kind of stuff, you got a little bit of a touch on this stuff and, and you know, somewhat of our, uh, our, our approach to this, but we, we haven't actually discussed the pros and cons to each of these individually, because obviously, again, like this is with all stuff, context specific, it's population specific. Some individuals are going to prioritize adding weight. Some individuals are going to prioritize adding reps. Some individuals are going to prioritize adding sets. However, that doesn't mean that even if you are going to prioritize it because it helps towards your goal or you think it's a great progression method for you, that doesn't mean that you just ignore the other ones as well. So you need to have somewhat of an understanding of what's going on with all of these, you know? So effectively, this is a, a podcast on progressive overload because uh, to an extent, like I did an article on this, like because we're just defining terminology on our website. If you're not on our website, I don't know what you're doing with your life. If you read the articles there, but effectively, this is somewhat of an extension of that article discussing progressive overload because this is how people progressive overload this is the these are the three main ways people discuss progressive overload now it's not all the ways there are other things so do be aware of that but let, let's kick this off gary what like we'll start with the adding weights pros and cons to adding weight to the bar as your method of progressive overload when you also know you have these other methods available to you reps and sets yeah so to to take to to kind of lay down some context here, you know, as Paddy mentioned, we do have this explained on our site in terms of like what is progressive overload, some of the details of that, and we've also got a pretty long article on different progression strategies. So if that's something you're interested in, you can check that out on site. Just go to Training Theory, 
look at the progression article and you'll start to, to get an insight of what all this stuff is about. Um, but basically, in order to progress in training, like in terms of the actual effect that we're looking for, which is for a lot of people gaining muscle mass, you know, um, potentially strength. But a lot, a lot of people talk about this, this discussion of kind of training volume and stuff like that with respect to the outcome of muscle hypertrophy. So in order to elicit that response to start building more muscle over time, we need some way to progress the training stimulus. And as Paddy alluded to, there are a number of different ways that you know are proposed that we could get there. And they're you know very intuitive for a lot of people in that you could add more weight to the bar, you could add more reps, you could add more sets. And all of those are different methods essentially of increasing the stimulus to get that response, okay? When we talk about like adding actual weight to the bar, that is probably what's most classically associated with progressive overload. However, I don't really think about progressive overload in those terms. I just look at it, look at it as the, pro, excuse me, the progression of the actual stimulus. You can look at this in a much deeper level of granularity in terms of, for example, your technique could be something that constitutes progressive overload. So if you were to adopt a horizontal pressing style or horizontal pressing movement that favored your chest more than your, your shoulders and triceps, for example, it, that, that might have been previously the case. You change your technique, you change the exercise, and now you're training your chest more. That could be a form of progressive overload because it has it's a form of you progressing the stimulus that you're applying to that muscle and hence potentially increasing the adaptations that you're going to get. So the point there being that when we talk about progression, we talk about progressive overload, okay, as opposed to just one isolated thing. In this case, when we're talking about weight on the bar, that's the most classical example of what people talk about when they talk about progressive overload. And for good reason, you know, one of the main reasons people get into resistance training or weight training is because they want to get stronger. And the way that we often think of strength is in terms of how much weight we can lift on the bar. We're not, that's, that's typically the, the measure that we use. It just happens to be the same tool that we use to actually develop it. So when people think about strength, they're not going to, you know, an isokinetic dynamometer and a sports science lab to test their maximal force production. They're testing it in terms of their everyday gym performance. So with that goal of increasing strength in a task specific manner, seeing increases in the weight that you're using each week are the means of progression that lead, that lead to the adaptations and that are the actual measure. So you can see how we got here in terms of when we start to think about hypertrophy outcomes, they're very often intrinsically linked to strength outcomes because they're, they're related to each other, but also because the process of getting there is related to each other. So that's just important to understand as a foundation of this conversation, because what we do when we're looking for strength in terms of training practices is not always going to be the same as what we do when we're trying to to build muscle. So with that said, adding weight to the bar over time is almost certainly in most practical cases going to be a necessary condition for people. Okay. In the last couple of years, you know, with more, more recent evidence in terms of like saying that we can gain muscle at a variety of, of, of rep ranges. And, you know, if you increase your volume, you can get hypertrophy increases and all this, the, the conversation can sometimes get quite blurred and you end up with this kind of mental gymnastics to say that you might be able to, you know, keep building muscle without ever adding weight to the bar. And like, that's something that's interesting to think about from a theoretical perspective. You know, for example, if you were to just use uh, 
30% of your one rep max and, and constantly go to failure and go to failure and go to failure and never really like measure any strength increases or anything like that. Like you can definitely come up with ways of programming without ever testing your strength or, or seeing additional weight increases in the bar because you just increase reps or you increase the tempo, whatever it might be. But for all practical purposes, increasing weight on the bar in moderate repetition ranges tends to be the most reasonable way of going about building muscle for most people. Like that's your longer term measure is am I getting stronger in these rep ranges of maybe six to 15 um, or six to 20? If you're getting stronger in those repetition ranges, especially across multiple sets, that's a good indicator that you're building muscle. So it's certainly a key part of the process. So yeah, as they started just on, on that, like I, there's two things. First of all, I want to say like, first of all, like whenever you look at any of this research that's done, you always just have to look at it from a practical lens. Like you were saying, like a lot of that stuff, it just becomes completely impractical. Like nobody is again, like taking 30% of their one RM and just going to failure. First of all, every single set is going to take 20 minutes to do, you know? <laughs> uh, and then also it's like, all right, well, like, does that represent the best way to train for a given goal? Like, yes, you could stimulate some hypertrophy from that. But again, is that the most time efficient way of going about it? Probably not. If you, have to, you could do a set of whatever, six reps and get the same stimulus, you know? So it's impractical for the majority of people, right? So just wanted to put that out. The second thing, just to caveat this discussion as well, especially when we discuss the weight stuff, because I think it's a little bit easier to get ahead of yourself with this stuff than it is with the other stuff, uh, the, the reps and the set stuff. Um, so the way people think of uh, progressive overload is somewhat backwards in that they think the outcome occurs before the event, if that kind of makes sense. And what I mean by that is like most people think you have to lift heavier weights to get bigger but really it's a case of you got bigger and you have to lift heavier weights to either maintain or gain from that and that that seems a little bit backwards to an extent and um, because of what we're always told we're progressive overload like what you hear propagated in the industry but just think of it a little bit deeper for a second like if your muscles aren't big enough or you aren't strong enough to lift the weight yet you don't get to just borrow that strength from the ether or some magical god, Odin, or some. No, you can't borrow that strength for a workout and then own it for the next workout. You have to already have that strength to then stimulate the muscle, you know. And again, that's it, it's somewhat backwards thinking from what most people think of progressive overload. They're like, "Oh, I lift heavier weights and that makes me bigger." When in reality, it's I got bigger that facilitated me lifting heavier weights, which supply, allowed me to apply a stimulus, which allowed me to then get bigger. But you are already big enough or strong enough to lift those heavier weights in the first case. You know, So it, it is a little bit of a, uh, a mind fuck when you start thinking about it initially, because you're like, wait, wait, I thought you lifted heavier weights to get bigger. And it's, it's like, yeah, that's true, but it's actually a little bit backwards. But ultimately, it doesn't really change your your practices it's just a somewhat pedantic more accurate way of thinking of things yeah absolutely and, and like that but that that actually is really important though because i think what we often see is that you know people talk about 
progressing their weights as a means of of progressive overload within the gym but what you're very often seeing is a progressive increase in relative intensity as opposed to true strength across let's say a mesocycle so if we're calling a block of training six weeks you know a relatively smart way of setting up that program that, that you know i would generally agree with might be something like on week one in your introduction you're leaving maybe three reps in the tank so if you're doing sets of eight you're actually using your 11 rep max let's say so roughly speaking right so if you're doing sets of eight you're using roughly your 11 your 11 rep max and then as you progress through the program maybe it, the next week you do two reps in reserve okay so you're you're working a little bit harder um, a little bit closer to failure and then maybe as you progress along it's like one to two one and then maybe the final week you're like zero to one so what you have to acknowledge is that when you have a program that is built like that, and even if it's not planned, I think a lot of people end up structuring their programs a bit like that anyway, because on week one, they're kind of getting a feel for the movement, and then they gradually get more stuck into it, and then at the end, they're like, all right, I want to finish strong, hit some PRs, and went all the way to failure in my final week. So if you've got those conditions within your program, you have to acknowledge that regardless of whether you, increase, you make any strength increases over these next six weeks, there's going to be an increase, an increase on the on the bar, an increase in weight on the bar, but it's just you using the strength that you already had because you've gone from let's say your 11 rep max on week one, um, for sets of eight to your 10 rep max for sets of eight to your nine rep max for sets of eight, and eventually maybe you get to your eight rep max for sets of eight. Um, so so yeah, you, you've increased the weight on the bar, but you didn't actually increase your true strength because to actually express to 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 know that you in, increased your true strength overall um and to truly have you know have, have made made that progress what you'd need to see was that by the end of it you were using uh your your previous six six to seven rep max let's say for those set, those sets of eight so that would be a true increase in strength and that may seem again like a bit of a pedantic point but it's actually really important because what people often think they're doing is that they're increasing beyond weights they've ever touched before, whereas they just started at a sub-maximal level and increased to increase to a more maximal level within the rep range that they actually that they were training in. So, what I would encourage you to do, if you've maybe if you if, if that maybe stri strikes a chord with you, is to review, let's say, your last three months of training and to ask yourself, right, how did these three months in terms of like my rep maxes compare to the previous three months? Because what you'll often see is that maybe a given exercise had just kind of detrained for a while. So maybe you hadn't squatted for a while. So when you first started on week one, like, yeah, you were, you, you, the movement was a bit new. You were leaving more reps in the tank. And then you got to the end and you had added 20 kilos to the bar, but you had already done that weight in the past when the exercise wasn't detrained. So it's not necessarily true progression. And I think the people that, that set up their training really well and make the best progress in the long, in the long term they do tend to see those true increases in strength from block to block to block to block. But within a given block, within a given mesocycle, what they might see is a very subtle increase on the bar, but that is actually decorated and somewhat masked by the increase in relative intensity from week to week. So yeah, they're increasing weight on the bar, but it's not necessarily them, them lifting new weights all of the time that they've ever lifted. It's actually them lifting weights that they've had, they've had, they have in the past. And maybe on those final one or two, they actually get to weights that they haven't they haven't used in the past so i think that's really important for trainees to understand because i think the perception that a lot of people get from 
programs that are based on like like progressive overload as a religion solely related to, to weight on the bar i think the impression people sometimes get is that if they're not adding weight to the bar they're failing and that's going to set you up for failure because the reality is that beyond your first i don't know year of training um it, it like it's really going to vary depending on, on you as an individual but let's say beyond your first year of training when those beginner gains are just rolling in it's unlikely you're adding weight to the bar every week like nobody goes through their whole training career adding weight to the bar every week regardless unless, of unless you're cha- like dramatically dramatically changing your body weight that should always be caveat yes true um but yeah you're, you're basically just not really going to see those those massive increases on the bar throughout your training career it's it's very unlikely to happen um so yeah i think that's something that gives you a clearer picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about progressive overload in terms of weight on the bar because within a given metal cycle what we're generally going to be talking about is an increase in relative intensity where someone is working from further from failure to closer to failure um, with the increases in weight on the bar um, being part of that and then hopefully getting to weights that you haven't touched before that you haven't used before and then the idea then would be that when you go into your next training cycle or future training cycles those heavier weights that you hadn't touched become earlier in the program you know so let's say if your week five and week six weights were x then they would be in week three and week four maybe in the next cycle and eventually you're starting off with those as your kind of easy weights with three reps in reserve so to me that's a better way of viewing progressive overload in terms of in terms of weight on the bar um, but that all assumes that you you have that precondition of starting a bit easier and then getting um closer to failure as a program goes on if you're going to failure go what ahead. i always think to, to layer on top of this which actually whenever I think of it, it kind of fucks my own mind just a little bit. And it's the fact that you have to not just think of like the, the muscular system, but also think of like the nervous system. So like even the people that aren't tracking their uh, reps in reserve or PE or anything like that, like they still aren't actually expressing their true max. So you were saying like you go for uh, eight reps and maybe it's your 11 rep max, right? In the first week, right? You might still think that that's your eight rep max. This is the, this is the thing, Right but that's because your muscles are completely uncoordinated because your nervous system isn't coordinated to do that movement. Because again, you have to remember that lifting is a skill. So if this is a new movement for you, right, it's going to take you about six weeks or so to really learn that movement. Even if it is movement you've done in the past, you know, there's little, these subtle refinements. You're like, Oh, actually I need to squeeze my foot that little bit more, create a little bit more of an arch in the squat here in my, the, the, arching my foot you know little little tiny things your muscular coordination between your quads needs to actually be you know in line with what you need to fire at the right time so you're not just wasting a load of energy trying to fire all your quads at once when it's at a part of the range of motion that you know momentum's just carrying you through anyway you know it's irrelevant so your nervous system isn't set up to actually express your true eight or m for you know whatever four to six weeks Anyway, and again, this is relevant to your, your programming because what you'll often see is people who really focus on, you know, like Gary was saying, like, you know, weight on the bar, progressive overload, and it's their, their kind of religion. What they'll do is they'll bring in a new movement. They'll pro- progressively overload it for six weeks. And then they're like, yeah, I'm really tapping out on that, that strength in the last six, weight, six weeks have really gone well with that movement. And then they're like, oh, but the weight's starting to stall, you know? And then they'll keep it in for another two weeks, another two sessions or so. And they're like, yeah, weight's just stalling out on that. Let's swap it to another exercise that is similar, right? 
and then they'll progressive, progressively overload that for six to eight weeks. The same thing happens, and then they switch it out. They do the exact same process. But realistically, all they're ever doing is swapping out exercises and never actually learning to, like they only just got to the meat and potatoes of actually learning to fully express their true strength in that exercise. Like they never actually progressively overload that exercise. All they did was get the nervous system adaptations to that exercise, learned to fully recruit or whatever you want to think of it like uh, their, their muscles for that exercise. And then they're like, oh, it's actually starting to get hard every single session. I'm not adding weight to the bar because now I'm actually at my true rep max, whatever it is, 8, 15, 20, whatever book. Uh, and then they're like, all right, if I don't progress the next, whatever, two sessions, people have arbitrary numbers, two sessions, three sessions, five sessions, whatever it is for you. It's like, oh, if I can't hit a new rep max, then I have to swap out the exercise for something similar, you know? And it, it's, it's somewhat annoying because then you, you don't actually ever get to see progressive overload in action even though you might accidentally see progressive overload in action because you are still challenging your muscles for those eight weeks you know or whatever however long you've had it in you know and then it, this real weird thing occurs where you know by changing the exercise you might actually get through or yeah, get some reduction in the fatigue that you've generated and as a result you might then get an increase in performance going forward, you know, but I don't know, like you could argue maybe for you as an individual, that's the, the best me method of progressive overload, but I'm much more of a fan of progressive, progressively overloading the same exercise for a longer period of time with something like a, an RPE or reps in reserve to make it easier. So you can actually progressively overload for three months, six months on the same exercise. Yeah, no, and I really like that. And I think you can actually get a lot from that because one of the things, like, for example, you said that people have these arbitrary cutoffs for when they'll introduce a new exercise. And I've seen this a lot where someone will say that if my exercise, if a given exercise stalls for two sessions, sorry, however, like that's actually setting up a condition in your program where whenever you can no longer increase weight on the bar, you're saying that you're going to change the exercise, change the program, or like now, now changes are needed. However, like there's nothing to say that, that that's not necessarily a sweet spot for you in terms of getting those adaptations because you've now built up to a point where you've gotten to close to, you know, the most amount of strength you have on this exercise. So you built up to that, you know, maybe you've overcome the initial um, issues with maybe the neural component or the skill component of the exercise. So you've learned how to do it properly and now you're getting to the point where you're really close to the most you can do. And for example, if it's dumbbells, let's say, and you're using 50 kilo dumbbells and the next jump is 52 kilos, um, that necessitates you having, you know, four kilos, like, cause in total, let's just say four kilos of extra strength in your overhead pressing, um, in your overhead pressing abilities. And, I don't think there's, we should assume that we can adapt an extra four kilos of strength within a week, or if you're doing the exercise twice a week within a three day period, you know, that might be the case sometimes, but I think it's very unlikely, especially if you've been training for, for quite a while. So to rotate out an exercise as soon as it stalls seems to me like a, a false premise, especially for someone who's intermediate to advanced in terms of their training. Because it might be the case that you get to that point where, all right, this is actually close to the most amount I can do, that maybe aiming for a rep 
maybe in two weeks time or maybe trying to clean up your technique a little bit you know maybe you're trying to slow down the eccentric a little bit more get a bit more out of it or maybe you could add an extra set in the next the next block of training or whatever they're all viable ways of you increasing the stimulus that you are applying without there being an increase in the weight that you're using because i think that can sometimes seem like a a false signal for the need for um, one, a change in the exercise, two, a change in the program, or three, um, a quote-unquote deload week, a deload week or a light week of training, because you kind of assume that if my, if my performance isn't increasing any further, then I must be too fatigued to increase my performance, whereas like, that's just part of the training process. You can't be getting better all the time, and it's, it's, it's unlikely that it's a necessity to increase weight on the bar every week for you to keep making progress, and that's especially true if you're advanced. There's going to be long periods of time where you don't really touch, you know, weights that you haven't used before within a given rep range, or you don't necessarily touch new rep ranges at a given weight that you've used before. And that, that is just kind of a hard truth for people who are a bit more advanced. Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. So again, like I think that makes it somewhat clear that there are obviously inherent issues to just thinking of things thinking of progression in terms of weight on the bar like you have to look at this as a multi-month multi-year phenomenon not just a week to week to week phenomenon especially if you are changing exercises somewhat regularly you know and which obviously again does have its place you know um but for most people i think if you can just again pick some rep ranges that you want you think are beneficial for you you know you go whatever I like this, whatever, six to eight, and I like the 10 to 12. I'm like, they're a nice little spread, not too high, not too low. It's like they're, they're a nice spread for rep ranges, you know? Um, but maybe you're like, oh, I actually love the seven to nine rep range and the 11 to 13, whatever. I don't really care. Just pick a rep range somewhere in between six to 20 reps and then progressively do that exercise while slowly adding weight over time or doing the things that you need to do to allow your body to recover enough from the stimulus you've provided to then progressively add weight to the bar over time, right? Because even though it, it, it can seem like we just kind of slammed progressive overload, realistically, this is the main way you can know that you are getting bigger slash stronger, right? that it's not the main way that you actually grow, like, well, it is, again, just that framework of thinking it's somewhat backwards. If you are able to lift heavier weights, then you are moving in the right direction, you know? If you're not able to lift heavier weights, and again, you've been doing the exercise for a long enough time, you have got all the, the neural adaptations and whatever, if you're not able to lift heavier weights, then you need to start considering other things. It could be simply a case that, the, the jumps in your gym are just too big. Again, the, the weight that you can add to the bar is too much. You, maybe you want to buy micro plates or something like that. Maybe you could then slowly start micro progressively overloading, uh, which I like. I honestly don't see why people don't do that more often, especially powerlifters. Like that to me would represent, I'm like, surely this makes the most sense. It's like, yeah, cool. You've maxed out all the progressive overload you've got available to you with the lowest weight being 1.25 kilos. but why don't we just start going down to the lowest weight being one kilo and then, you know, 0 0.75, 0 0.5, 0 0.25, 0 0.1. Because surely if we want to take this to the nth degree, 
then even adding, you know, 100 grams to the bar is, does represent progressive overload, you know? And you could continue to progressively overload by just, you know, every week adding 100 grams to the bar, 100 grams to the bar. Because again, like that's, again, you think of these things like, what does that incentivize? And again, that's what it does. And if you do, if you do do that, then potentially you would be able to push out the length of time you could progressively overload an exercise while still being an intermediate to advanced, you know? Um, but again, that's, that's a bit of a, a, a side discussion, right? But if you are not progressively overloading, then first of all, you are at best maintaining, right? You may even be regressing because you might be providing a stimulus that is just at the edge of your body's capacity to recover, right? Like it is a true eight rep max, say, right? And that's going to take you more than a week to recover from it. If you then go in and do your next week, you do the same eight rep max. Even though you're like, oh, it was only the same weight. Like you're going to be accumulating fatigue over those sessions. And that might lead to a regression in your actual progress because of the accumulated fatigue, right? Um, but again, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a side thing. But what you need to think of is if you are adding weight to the bar, you are progressing, right? But it is not the act of adding weight to the bar that drives your progression, right? Do you have anything else to add to the discussion of progressive overload via weight? Because effectively at the end of this, when we discuss these next two, we'll do a little bit of a synopsis type thing and you know point people in the right direction. But do you have anything else to add to the, the act of adding weights? Yeah, so I suppose like just to kind of clarify that point in case people are getting confused, your your last point was that, you know, adding weight to the bar, you know, signifies that you are making progress, but uh, but but it's not necessarily a driver for progress. And to clarify exactly, you know, what we mean there is that yes, adding weight to the bar is part of progressive training. It is probably necessary over time for all practical purposes. It is necessary for whether you're trying to gain strength or whether you're trying to simply build muscle. So it's a necessary part of the process. And if you're someone that's never in increasing the weights that you're using and you just go into the gym and, you know, put on two plates or whatever every day and you just do all your reps and you get a pump, probably not the best way of going about things. Okay. We all agree on that. But the more nuanced point there is that when we're thinking about training adaptations, we have to apply a certain level of stress to get adaptations. And as we become more advanced, we have a much higher level of tolerance for those stressors. So for you to, to continue applying those stressors, the amount of weight that you're lifting has to be at that level that you're already adapted to. Um, because if it's not already at that level, then it's just so maximal and you're not going to be continuing to make that progress. So you have to basically be increasing the weight on the bar in line with the rate of adaptation that you have. So if you were to increase, if you were to say you were doing 100 kilo squats across a 12 week program, if you have added, let's say 20 kilos of strength, that's what, how much your force production capabilities have increased by across those 12 weeks, then obviously you have the option of staying at 100 kilos and it's just going to be much easier. Okay, so now you've got a different relative intensity. The addition of the 20 kilos would not be necessarily the driver of the realized progress it would be the result of the progress you made through using the 100 kilos previously so that's important to to understand i guess um 
and what else was I just about to say there? Um, and, and understand, yeah, understand the difference between that, between the true increase in strength and the increase in relative intensity in terms of percentage of one rep max or in terms of proximity to failure across the training cycle, because that often basically presents itself as increases in strength when in fact you're simply working harder um, and you have to be able to differentiate between the two. But I think that's that covers up the, the progressive overload discussion as we in terms of like the actual weight, as we said, really key part of the training process, but shouldn't be your, your sole focus or something you feel like you failed if you don't add weight to the bar. Right, 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 right. So next thing then is progressive overload via reps, right? We somewhat touched, this, <clears throat> touched on this at the start of the podcast, um, but progressive overload can obviously be done through adding reps rather than adding weight. So for example, let's give a situation, say in your gym, you do the bench press and in your gym, for whatever reason, there's only 100 kilos total available. Like there's only four 20 kilo plates available, right? So you can only ever get up to 100 kilo bench press, right? Like, all right, I can't add more weight to the bar, so how do I progress, right? Maybe you start thinking, I'm going to add reps, right? So you could maybe do, I don't know, I don't know what are, what's normal people weights for 100 kilo, like or reps for 100 kilos. Oh, at least 30. Okay, whatever. I'm gonna say eight, right? Eight reps, hundred kilos. Uh, you, you you do that, right? Um, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to try increase that next week. I'm trying to get nine reps. The week after, ten reps, eleven reps, twelve reps, thirteen, etc., etc., etc. Right? So you might think, okay, that that seems pretty smart. You know, I I can't. There's no more weights, so do more reps, right? However, I think most people can see that straight away. It's like, realistically, if you hit your eight or um, your eight, eight rep max on Monday, week one, like, are you able to then hit that same weight for what you now suggest is your nine rep max in the Monday of week two, right? Probably not, right? But even if it is the case, you're like, okay, I was actually able to add a rep next week. The likelihood of them being able to add a rep the week after that as well goes down quite a bit, right? Again, assuming that it is your eight rep max the first week, right? And again, obviously the further you go with that, the less and less likely it is, right? Again, we're just talking about one set here for, again, to failure. And so that isn't necessarily a great method, even just thinking about it of progressively overloading, because again, like you are doing, again, you say you do 10 reps, to do 11 reps, you're now doing 110% of what you just did, right? That would be the same as if you did 100 kilos and then the next week you added 10 kilos to the bar, you know? Like that's, that's the jump. You're, you're effectively adding 10% with those metrics that I've just outlined, you know? So probably not a great method. However, it also can be a great method if you are using something like an RPE or, you know, reps in reserve type deal over multiple sets, you know? So again, maybe you do three sets of eight and you do this at an RPE two, you know? Or, or an RPE two, and reps in reserve of two, right? So it is your 10 rep max, your true 10 rep max, right? So if you did a set of 10, you would be done. Because this is also something that you need to realize whenever you're discussing this. And again, it's something that we've repeated and we've said on site as well. If you do a rep max 
there is no way you're able to repeat that, right? By its very nature. Like if you think you're going in and doing an eight rep max and then doing your next set and getting eight reps and then doing your next set and getting eight reps, I'm sorry, you're not, you did that first set, you didn't do your eight rep max unless you took whatever, five to 10 minutes in between that to recover. Like it simply does not happen. Like it's impossible, right? Uh, Maybe if you're a ranked beginner, maybe, but that's probably just because you don't have the the nervous system adaptations to actually express your true, true eight rep max. But if you are saying you've trained for a while, you notice exercise and you go for an eight rep max and you get it. And then you're saying you waited two minutes and got another set with that weight for the same reps. That wasn't, that first set wasn't a rep max. You know, it might've been challenging for eight reps, but it wasn't your max. Right. And, um, but anyway, say we've got two reps in reserve. We, we do our set of eight, could have got 10. We ate our two minutes or whatever. We do the next set. We got our eight reps with that. It was a little bit harder, but it was doable, right? The next set then, again, we get eight reps. Again, a little bit harder, harder, but still doable, right? So we're saying that we have two reps in reserve for pretty much all of those sets. The last set, maybe, you know, one and a half reps is realistically more likely what you had left in the tank, right? The next time you come in, because you've left two reps in the tank, a very easy way to progressively overload that, again, would be to add reps, you know? So now, without having changed the weight, all you're going to do is either, you could say you added one rep on one set, you could do it a very slow method of progression, which would be nice, slow, steady progression. You just go, I'm going to add one rep to one of these sets, so that now I do an eight, eight, nine, right? The next workout you do, eight, nine, nine. Next workout you do, nine, nine, nine. I always like adding it to the back end because then it's more true because, Again, you can always go out to the front end and go, oh, I added, I did a nine rep max on my first set and then the next set is seven and the next set is six, <laughs> you know? So I, I like adding it to the end, although some, there is obviously issues with that because you've accumulated some fatigue coming into that. But anyway, right? So you've done that, you build it up to nines and then you go, okay, now I'm actually going to go, because remember, you just started out as your 10 rep max. The next week you're going to go nine, nine, 10, nine, 10, 10. 10, 10, 10, right? Uh, and again, having done that, you would then hope that having practiced that for over to whatever nine weeks or whatever it is that it takes to do that, you would have gained some strength, some muscle in that time period so that what was your 10 rep max is now not your 10 rep max, you know? So the weight that you're using for 10 reps that you've slowly added reps to, to the same weight is not actually a rep max anymore. Because again, it's not a rep max and you know that, because you just did it for three sets, right? So that's one method of, again, using reps to progressively overload. And it's a a very viable method. But again, you have to keep things straight in your head in that the, the adaptations come before the progressive overload method comes. The progressive overload method is only a way for you to continually apply the correct stimulus to keep things moving in the right direction you know yeah exactly so like you're basically just finding another way to catch up with your rate of adaptation so you're catching up with the rate of or the amount of stress that you need to keep eliciting future adaptations and once those future adaptations are realized they'll be expressed in terms of extra reps that you can perform at a given weight or extra weight on the bar for a given set of reps so like that that sort of brings us to 
like the 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 way that we actually implement this in programming very often which is basically the use of a rep range so you know you were mentioning there something like eight to ten so the addition of uh, are having that range of eight to ten reps like that's very that's something that's quite nice to have within a program we're thinking about balancing the increase in weight and the increase in reps on the or the increase in reps on the bar the increase in reps with that weight because especially if someone has come from a background of thinking that you need to add weight to the bar every week this is a nice way of basically finding a way to keep the person entertained while they begin to to engage in a progressive training program because if you've previously thought that it was all about adding weight to the bar every week and then you got to a level of advancement where that's just not really possible anymore the addition of that extra rep on that third set like you alluded to it could be that that one that one piece of progression within that workout like that could be the one thing that that is realized within that workout but it's at least a win and it's at least something to keep you going so if you were to do something like you know let's say we know that like you're not going to have an increase in 2.5 kilos for four weeks. Like it's unlikely that's going to happen within a four week period for you at this time, this point in time. All right. We're cool with that because we know that your rate of adaptations have slowed down because you're more advanced. So if you can, if you can say that, all right, I'm going to do an eight to 10 rep range and you know, I'm going to try and add a rep when I can within those four weeks, let's say, um, obviously we can't know that you're going to increase by 2.5 kilos in four weeks, but we're adding those reps as we go along through those weeks, through those weeks, we're chasing extra reps and that might be also taking you slightly closer to failure. But then on that fourth week, when you eventually get there, you get to the top of the rep range. You're now doing three sets of 10 instead of three sets of eight that you did on week one. Then that's the week then that you can add a bit of weight and go back to the bottom of the rep range. So now you're using a new weight, but you're back at the bottom of the rep range so that you're not just increasing reps and weight at the exact same time. Because that's what some people will do is that when they use repetition ranges, they'll do three sets of eight and then they'll add five kilos the next week and do try and do three sets of 10. And realistically, in most cases, that's going to lead to someone, you know, just being way closer to failure than they were on that first week and potentially being like more fatigued than they need to be early on in the program and limiting the, the, the potential for us to increase the stimulus as the weeks go on. Um, so that's basically how you would apply it in practice in terms of having a repetition range seeking to increase reps, climb to the top of the rep range, and then drop back down to the bottom of the rep range as you increase weight. And that can be a nice way for intermediate to advanced people to keep some sort of stimulus progression in the program while acknowledging that like extra weight on the bar isn't always feasible. You're dead right. So again, that would generally be called double progression, what you're saying yeah. there, you know, literally like, oh, we've got weight that we can add and we've got reps that we can add. There's two methods of progression here. You know, maybe we increase weight this week and keep the reps at the bottom range. Maybe we increase or we keep weights where they are and we increase reps this week. You know, again, all we're trying to do is look for some sort of stimulus to keep up with the adaptations that you are making. Or in some cases, probably more often as you get into the intermediate and advanced to effectively slow down, to keep the... uh, training process interesting while your adaptations crawl along right? <laughs> you know because yeah, like when you're a beginner the adaptations are coming thick and fast you're like boom yeah i'm strong enough by next week to lift 10 kilos more next week next week next week and you're just like i'm packing on muscle i'm packing on strength you know yourself gary the two of us absolutely massive um but 
Jesus. Um, <laughs> you're going to get to a stage where, you know, that's simply not the case going forward. And you effectively are like, okay, well, what can I do to keep training interesting while my muscle growth slows to a snail's pace, while my strength gain slows to a snail pace? You know, and you're just looking at things to provide just enough stimulus to keep things ticking in the right direction, right? And the final thing, well, obviously there's loads more that we're not touching on, but this the final one we're going to discuss today is the is using sets as a method of progression, right? And what I mean by this is all things being equal, again, we do three sets of eight with our 100 kilos on the bar, right? You might go, oh, can't really add more weight. Either it's, you don't have it available to you in your gym or you know, you're just not strong enough yet to do it, right? So can't add weight. Reps, oh, it's very hard. You know, that, eight, that eight is very close to you know, near failure point, especially on that last set, right? So I can't really add reps, but I'm not willing to drop down on the reps. I'm not doing this RPE shit, this RIR shit, not doing it, right? Uh, you might go, how, how do I progress my training then, right? And then you realize, you're like, well, who says you only have to do three sets of an exercise, right? Let's do four, right? So next workout you do, you do your three sets. The first workout, next workout you go, I'm going to do four sets. I'm going to do four sets of eight at 100 kilos. Boom. Actually, you know what? That wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was a little bit harder of a workout than when I was doing three sets, but it was fair enough. It was easy enough. I'm going to try the next workout. I'm going to do five sets. Because <laughs> right? um, again, it's like, well, that's, right now, that's your only method of progression that seems to be working. You know? So that's what you do. Right? But again, as anyone with two brain cells together can see going forward, that becomes increasingly less likely that you're going to be able to complete those sets, right? But also, it just increases dramatically the amount of volume that you are doing and also the length of time you have to spend in the gym to get that given stimulus, you know? So in my mind, like I might start someone off on a slightly lower set protocol but generally what i do is i work out the median this middle kind of range of volume that i think will be necessary for them to progress you know we'll say generally it's recommended 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week you know so you might start off someone at we'll just say 15 you know if they're like oh i have x y and z body parts i want to work on or it's relevant to my goal you might go, okay, well, maybe we'll start at 16, 17, and we'll put some other stuff on the back burner. But let's just say generic here. We're like, let's just assign 10 to 15 sets for most body parts and call it a day. You know, you could then go, okay, look, actually, you know, let's, let's try 16 sets for that. Oh, no, 17, 18, 19, 20. And once you get to that 20 range, that top out range, uh, to, in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, like I really wouldn't, I don't see much of an ad. ad and add a, if I could speak, an advantage to adding more sets beyond that 20 set mark, maybe for short periods of time. But even then I'm like, well, it's probably, there's probably better, better methods of progression than that. And um, so again, that's it's not really what I would do. And um, although I have seen it done 
quite well in practice. And then again, just layering on top of this, you could effectively do a triple method progression where whatever is available to you, you either add weights, add reps, or add sets, you know? And then again, you have a, uh, a rep range and you have a set range, you know? And what I mean by that is you say you get up to 100 kilos and you do that for six to eight reps, you know, you progress that, you do whatever, you do your 100 kilos for six reps, six reps, six reps, that's the first week. You progress that up until you get to three sets of 100 kilos for eight reps. And then you're like, okay, I've got that. The next week I'm gonna try to get four sets of that. And next week I'm gonna try to get five sets of that. So the weight stays constant, you progress the reps then, and then you progress the sets. And then after you've got that, you increase the, the, the weight then, and then you drop down the number of sets you do, and then you drop down the number of reps you do, and then again, you start that process again. Or there's multiple ways. Again, you've got three variables here. You can stack it up multiple ways. You could be like, oh, two weeks I, or three weeks, I look for rep range increases, and then three weeks, I look for set increases, and then I do it. You can put all these arbitrary rules on it. Again, they're all just methods at the end of the day to keep you interested, to keep you somewhat ticking along while the adaptations occur yeah like personally I, I kind of like the the idea of increasing sets as a means of progression within a program however I think it can like like you always say like you have to ask you know what does something incentivize and I think in this case it can incentivize a lot of waste of time in the gym because what you do see with some people is that they kind of run away with the idea of adding sets and they're just doing these ridiculously high volume programs but if you were to look at any one of their sets it's pretty poor quality like you know that they could go much further in terms of in terms of reps while still being a couple of reps shy of failure um and they could also improve you know their focus within each rep or their technique within within each rep and that they could just be getting a lot more out of their training if they weren't if they didn't have this kind of you know plan b of just being like ah i'll just do more sets you know i'll just do more sets that's fine so you do have to keep that in, in consideration um, because i think a lot of people that just focus on increasing sets they do end up kind of falling into that trap and that's also the case when someone views this as a strategy a strategy that's just viable in the long term continuously because like you're not just going to keep adding sets every week like because like, where do you end up like as you said once you get beyond like 20 sets per week per muscle group i'm starting to think okay is there something we can improve before we get here like i'm sure there's plenty of people who who benefit from going beyond there particularly for certain body parts and for very advanced people like there's good reason to believe that there are people that would require more that than that and would benefit from more than that but once we get to that level i'm starting to think okay could there be something else limiting our progress here can we do something else for somebody to keep making progress and you have you have to you have to always ask those questions before you accept that someone is a bit more of an outlier. You know, you always have to ask what could potentially be going wrong first. Um, so yeah, you have to consider what the incentive is, but when done well, I think this can be a really nice approach to training. So for example, if someone has, has typically been doing um, eight sets for chest within a given workout, then what you might do is you, you have their two chest exercises in that given workout and on week one the introductory week where you know you're typically going to be a bit more sore you're getting used to the movement you actually drop it down to three sets okay so now you've got just six sets for chest on that day um and then the next week 
maybe you add an extra set to one of those exercises. So you've got seven. Then the next week, week three, we add it to the other exercise. Now you're at eight sets. And then week four, you do the same. You go up to nine. And week five, you're up at 10. And maybe week six, you finish at 10 as well. So what you've done is you found a way to increase the stimulus um, through sets alone across that training program um, without necessarily focusing on, on other variables just yet, because obviously they all play in together, but you're focusing on, you're increasing your sets from f throughout the program. You've increased the stimulus beyond what you've typically been doing in terms of those eight. You also didn't just drastically increase things. So you didn't just go from the eight sets you were previously doing and jump to 10 for the whole program or from the beginning, because I generally wouldn't advise making massive progressions in week one of a program. It's generally not a good idea. So what you could then do, if that was the strategy that you, you decided to employ, is you do a review afterwards. So it might be the case that when you started to do 10 sets, um, and like generally I wouldn't go much above that within a given workout, um, across the week is a different story. But let's say you found that when you went up to that, to that um, higher level of sets, you found yourself feeling more muscularly fatigued than you normally would. So let's say you never really got soreness in your chest before. You always felt like, yeah, I feel like I trained, but it didn't really feel like much. And then you come in that like, you know, it's the day or two after the, the 10 set workouts and you're like, God, yeah, I really felt that more than I have in a while. And you know, if you're going to the next block then and you're seeing, oh God, I'm actually lifting more weight than I have in the past. I've actually made some strength progress. And it mightn't always present itself like that. But if you have those reasons to believe that this was a, a good progression strategy and that was a more appropriate level of volume for you, then you could trial, you know, a slightly higher volume training program going forward. So that could be a valid strategy. But what I would not encourage people to do is just keep adding sets from block to block or from week to week. So the practical application there is that if you are going to use an ascending stretch set strategy within a given program, then what you would do is start lower than you normally do or that is your kind of baseline, and then you increase slightly above what you normally do at the end of the program, and then you climb back down um, again at the at, at following going into the next the next phase of training. Um, like to to use the terminology that a lot of people use um, because of, of Mike Isertel, like the way that the, what you basically be talking about there is something along the lines of a minimum effective volume, you could say, which, which would be defined as like the minimum amount of volume that you're, that's going to lead to you actually making some progress. So you're starting around there and then you're pushing up kind of around your maximum adaptive volume. If you want to use that terminology, you're pushing up around there towards your maximum recoverable volume, but not necessarily getting there. So if you're familiar with that terminology, that might be a useful way of thinking about it. That that's typically how Mike presents it. And I think that's a reasonable way of viewing things. And I think in general, like, his use, um, if you're familiar with, with those ideas, and they recently wrote a paper on these strategies. And I think that like it's a fairly reasonable way of going about things, of having an ascending set strategy. But the problem is that when I see, or a lot of the time when people put the strategies into practice, is that they take maybe what they hear Mike say, or what other, you know, kind of what experts might say about training, and they totally run away with it. And it's like, all right, I'm just going to keep ascending sets, ascending sets, more sets, more sets. Whereas if you look at what these guys who are, who have these ideas, if you look at what they're, they're doing in practice, week one is like, oh yeah, I did two sets of leg press. And all, all people seem to see is like week six where oh, I did five sets of leg press. Whereas you have to look at what the, the actual, the mean was or the median or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Well, 
I don't think that's bad. That's obviously lots of information on weights yep. and sets, right? So let's just wrap this up effectively and give people some sort of method because that can seem, it can seem really kind of nihilistic when you kind of go, oh, what the fuck? About? Like, so the adaptations are coming first and then I can progress. Like, it, it seems, first of all, ass backwards. And then you start thinking, you're like, well, do I just go to the gym and just fuck around and like the adaptations are going to come? See what happens. <laughs> yeah, like they're going to come if they come and if they don't, look, I can't really influence it. So where does it leave people? Like, again, what, like, what should they be focusing on? Because we said it at the start, like probably focusing on slowly getting progressively stronger is the way, the easiest way to ensure that the adaptations have occurred in, in terms of like tracking your overall volume or sorry, tracking your overall progress. But maybe you are at a level where you need some of these other tools in the toolbox, tool if I could speak, now what the fuck's going on? Um, maybe you need some of these tools in the toolbox so that you can keep you know, training interesting and keep yourself at that level where it's like, okay, I'm actually able to adapt to this. It's not too hard and it's not too easy. It's just the right amount so that every week I can see some sort of little progress, a rep here. Or maybe I could add a set there. Maybe I can do a weight increase here. Like, is that how we just view it? It's like, just take the progress wherever it presents itself or do we view it in some sort of systematic way? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of both um, because there is an element of you have to go into a training program thinking I'm here to progress, you know, and every workout you go, you go into, you have to be thinking I'm here to progress. I'm here to put in the work. I'm here to do better than I did last week. But you also have to always be awake, thinking, alert, and able to accept a workout where actually that's just what I did last week. And that's fine, you know, because that's what training is about. It's about applying, applying a given level of stress. And if you've, if you have going to the gym to apply a certain level of stress and you, you go way beyond that because you just took everything to failure just for the sake of adding weight to the bar, then I don't think that's particularly smart training a lot of the time. So what I would advise people to do is let's say you currently have a resistance training program and it just says three sets of eight. All right. If that's all that's written on your program, then the only logical thing for you to do when you think of progress is more weight on the bar because you've got fixed sets, you've got fixed reps. Um, and that, like, that's basically it's all that's there. There are no guidelines for you to increase the RPE from week to week or reduce the reps in reserve. So and just, just put it in, there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's, that's, fine. that's perfect. Like that, I do that with loads of my clients where it's like, yeah, you are just going to be able to slowly get stronger over time. And that's all we need to do. So like, if that's, if that's you, if that's the stage you're at, then that's perfect. You know, that's a perfect viable approach. Anyway, go on. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that's especially the case if you're just, you know, if you just, if you just got, if you're a beginner, like for example, like that's definitely simple is best, you know? So if you have a program that just says three sets of five, I'm absolutely not knocking that program because that's, that's probably perfect for you because week one, you're going to be like Bambi. You're not going to know how to squat. You're a beginner. You know, you're, you're just learning these movements and you're probably going to be adding weight to the bar for many, many weeks to come. And that might be a linear weekly thing. Some weeks it mightn't happen. Most weeks it probably will if you're a beginner. And so, yeah, that's a perfectly viable way of programming. But if you're at that point where you've got that program, 
but you'd like to be able to be a bit more flexible in terms of like, how am I actually going to be able to progress? You know, you're not working with a coach. Like for example, if Patty's given a program to his clients and it's, it says three sets of eight, then there's more discussion going on there in terms of. Yeah. Like, and there, there would obviously be like some context. Like I always look at it in terms of like, what's our overall stimulus that we're doing? Like, especially like, say you're in a, uh, a gaining phase, like you're in a calorie surplus. I'm like, and like, you're probably going to be able to progress that a little bit faster. And maybe we just focus on adding weight to the bar because you're gaining roughly a kilo per month. So maybe that's all we need to do because you're pushing your body weight up and hopefully adding more tissue. You're, you're providing two stimuli here effectively, two stimulus, two stimuli, whatever, uh, here effectively. So, you know, maybe we don't even need to go overly out and be like, okay, whatever, let's dial in all these variables. But conversely, if you were in a deficit, it's like, maybe we need to manage fatigue a little bit more and oh you've actually got a sport as well then we definitely need to play around with this rpe reps and reserve whatever so again like the context of all this stuff really does matter but again like gary's saying it's like like you could just say three three sets of eight three sets of ten whatever it is and be like that's that's all you need to do but for the majority of people as they move into that more intermediate or advanced or they don't have the fallback of you know calories to, to help them, then you need to start thinking a little bit more in terms of your other variables. Yeah. And I think you should always come into these conversations. You know, if you hear something that maybe disagrees with something that you do, that doesn't mean I'm disagreeing with your approach because if you are, are a proponent of, you know, any of the approaches that we discussed maybe in a negative light, but you're like, I'm actually making fantastic progress. I'm getting loads of muscle. I'm in fantastic shape please keep going, like put your fingers in your ears and don't even listen to these changes in programming. Because if you're following a program that says three sets of eight and you're making progress, like that's all you need to do. So that's, that's the key thing with all these podcasts is you only need to take on board what you need to take on board. So if you are that person who you've got this program, it says three sets of eight, you feel like you've been stuck to adding weight to the bar, but it's just not happening for you anymore. Then this piece of advice is more useful. So if you are that person, what I would do is I'd say, right? Let's, all right. Eight, eight is your average rep range. Okay. So let's say, let's change that to three sets, seven to nine. Okay. So that's your, that's your first thing. Now you've got a rep range that you can actually work with. Um, and then what you could start to do is you could start to implement some of the information that we provided in the last two podcasts about reps and reserve and RPE. So it could be the case that on week one, it's like, all right, three by seven to nine at two to three reps in reserve. Okay. So you even two or three reps in the tank. The thing is that should still be hard training. Like two to three reps from failure is still pretty hard training, especially if you're doing something like lower body training. So it shouldn't be easy. You know, it should yeah, like still I, be pretty I was, I was writing that. I don't know if I said it in the podcast as well, but like you always know if someone has never actually gone to failure, if they say only the last rep is hard, because realistically they probably are just at three reps in reserve, like that last rep. If they think that's all that's hard, like they, they probably have like two, maybe three reps left to give on that set because there's no way you can do your true 10 rep max and only think that last set or that last rep is hard. Like those last two or three are always going to be hard. And that's effectively what someone is saying to get up to your two to three reps from failure. It's like, well, like you're probably around whatever that seven, eight, nine, well, maybe not nine <laughs> uh, reps, you know, edit from a 10 rep max, you know? Um, so again, like, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I was writing it the other day. Yeah, like I mean, I was doing front squats yesterday, and like I did, I did a set, I did a set of five, and I'd say it was probably 
my eight rep max, maybe seven. So I'm still like two to three reps in reserve. But man, my face, I look like I was about to have a brain hemorrhage. Like my face was exploding. There was veins popping out of my neck. I'm like, and it, it feels like shit. It's awful. It's horrible in the most beautiful way. But like that, 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 that's training, like from two to three reps in reserve. Like it should be pretty hard, especially on something like squats. Like you should feel like you're dying. You don't want to do those last couple of reps. Like that, that is what that should feel like. So that's something that you obviously have to get up to over time. But to get back to the training, like the, the prescription, you could say three by seven to nine, two to three reps in reserve. And then next week you do two reps in reserve. And then the next week you're doing one to two. And maybe you might stick at that kind of one to two range for a couple of weeks because like that's kind of a nice range because you could be saying, I definitely had two there. And then the next week you're like, oh, I maybe had two, at, at least on the first two sets, but maybe only one in the last set. So you kind of use that again as a little bit of a range. So now you've got a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can actually progress. So, you know, you've started on week one, you did seven reps, you move up to eight next week, or you didn't quite have it in you to add, you know, another rep to all sets, but you did it to one set. And then eventually you get to your nine later in the later weeks. And then you make your increase in weight. So that's what you start to do. And that keeps you interested in the training process. It keeps something progressing from week to week in your logbook or your training document or whatever. And training is fun and training is progressive and you're doing the things that you need to be able to do. In terms of the actual adding set changes into that, as we said, you could use an ascending set strategy. And the way that I would often do that, especially if I'm going beyond the level of sets that you'd normally do so to a new level of volume let's say you know i gave that example earlier of let's say you normally do eight sets for a body pack within a given workout and you're going to increase to 10 in this training cycle i would typically pick one body part maybe two to do that with within a given training cycle because otherwise what you end up doing is actually adding a lot of overall sets because if you increase your your weekly volume let's say by two sets in each workout then that's four sets for a given body part. And you do that for your chest, for your shoulders, for your quads, for your hamstrings, even just, even just those muscle groups. Like that's an additional four by four, 16 sets that you're doing per week from in, in, a, in a training cycle. That's a, a pretty big jump in overall training volume. You know, so you may not be prepared for that. So I would treat that as a sort of a specialization type of method where you're deciding that I'm actually going to focus more on my chest this week or this training cycle. Therefore, for the second half of this six week block, I'm going to increase from eight sets to 10 sets to a new level of volume that I haven't done before. And that's going to be a big means of me increasing the stimulus that I'm applying to my chest, but I wouldn't do it for every, for every body part. And it could be then the next training cycle, you decide to apply that to your back. So the message there being the repetition ranges and that kind of desire to increase reps or ways should be a constant thing that's on your mind um but the the increases in sets that you actually apply should be more of a longer term thing and something that's used sparingly um although you can still ascend around your normal level of volume without increasing overall volume on average um month to month to month to month you know Does that makes sense yeah i have nothing else to add to that sweet i think that was that was good. We covered a lot in that episode. You know, that's that's basically like progression 101 or 105. You know, there's a lot in there in terms of reps, sets, and the 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 use of you know extra weight on the bar. And obviously, it's hard to fit every single detail into this. You know, we can't go into to detail on everything. Like this isn't describing the 
mechanisms of hypertrophy, you could say. And I think that's that's actually a good point to finish out on is that there's a key well, difference. A good point to finish out on would be if you actually want to dive deep on stuff rather than just have a discussion, mm-hmm. the place to be would be our website because an article, you can cover everything because I can read the article and get, oh, actually, I can say this a little bit better. Oh, actually, I need to mention this. Oh, actually, I need to add that in. Can't really do that while we're speaking. But anyway, Gary, apart from going on the website, checking the details out, and pressuring Gary to write more articles so he can keep up with the absolutely unbelievable output of content I do, literally, literally do four times more content than content than him. But anyway, uh, do go on, Gary. Anyway, um, as I was about to say, and we'll elaborate further on in a specific article, is there's a difference between like, like, you know, sometimes you hear discussions about training and it's like, what is the mechanism of muscle hypertrophy or what causes muscle growth? And people kind of get lost in, in talking about, like, you can talk about that at multiple different levels. Like, for example, the muscle protein synthetic response or specific mTOR responses. And I think sometimes people mix that up with the actual training variables that we're talking about, because you don't necessarily need to know that much about muscle protein synthesis or muscle damage mechanisms or metabolic stress mechanisms to be able to construct a really well thought out training program with all the variables in mind. Because sometimes the mechanistic evidence can actually lead you astray a little bit because it's complicated, you know, all different, like you could look in at PS70, S6K or whatever, and you're like, all right, in this one study, um, the phosphorylation of this protein was actually increased and that seems to be associated with muscle growth so boom that's going to be my my answer like that's that's how i got to 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 this to this solution i'm going to build a program around that but if you then look at programs that have actually been designed and and show that the training variables in those studies are different from whatever you came to based on mechanistic evidence and then you you're basically like like what do i actually trust like generally you're going to go with the ones where the programs have actually been implemented and you can see real world outcomes. Like you want to be looking for that sort of, for that sort of reasoning. So point there being is that there's a difference between like the, the mechanisms that are discussed when it comes to hypertrophy and the variables that people are actually talking about when it comes to programming, they're different things. They're related, of course. And for us to have an understanding of like training volume, um, if you're to say the training volume is a key part of programming for muscle hypertrophy, we'd have to have some sort of like biological plausibility based on the mechanisms. And once you've got that, which is, ha, has been shown to some degree, like that's there, that evidence is there, then it's like, all right, now it's about kind of playing around with the, those real world variables. And you don't necessarily have to say that this program is designed for metabolic stress or this program is designed for muscle damage. Like that's, that's not the best way to think about it. Um, at least, at least I don't think, does that make sense? Yes, it does. No, See, it, the, the, it does. Really, the issue is that, well, there's two issues. First of all, everyone always thinks biochemistry is irrefutable. But second of all, well, to further to that point, uh, biochemistry is extremely flawed. And I'm saying that as a biochemist. Um, and what people really want to do when they're asking these questions is ask a cell biologist because biochemists just smash things apart and look at things individually. They're effectively, if you were to go to a mechanic and go, what's wrong with my car? If that mechanic was analogous, analogous 
to a bio, biochemist, he would smash your car apart, take out your fucking whatever the issue is and be like, oh, here's the interaction. Your car is still smashed to bits now, right? So it doesn't tell you if there was another interaction with other stuff going on within the car that was actually the issue, right? Whereas a cell biologist is looking at the cell, the intact cell and the interactions there. And that's the issue. But the second issue is, which is really the bigger issue, purely because of a misunderstanding, the people that are looking into this stuff are generally not the right people to be looking into this stuff. They're either people looking into cacaxia or they are sports scientists, right? And if they're sports scientists, they generally employ biochemists, which as we've discussed is not a good idea for what they actually want to, <laughs> to study. What they actually want is cell biologists, right? Um, and if they're studying cacaxia, well, they could be anyone. They could be even the pleb doctor. Um, but yeah, so basically, I'm just throwing biochemistry under the bus here and saying that you really need to talk to the cell biologist about this stuff. And that pains me to say it because biochemists hate cell biologists because they're stupid. Basically, shit's complicated. Trust no one except yeah. us. Like, literally, no, literally, basically, <laughs> basically what I'm saying is trust nobody, even if it's in a scientific paper and it says something. It may say that thing, but it's saying a very specific thing. That doesn't mean it applies to other things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like there's countless, uh, countless examples of where people get misled by that stuff. But that is not the purpose of this podcast. So to round things out, if you would like to engage with us, learn more about us, of course, we know that everything is in the description box below. The best place to start to engage with us a bit more you know one thing i'd love is if people you know actually ask more questions about like what they heard on the podcast because that would really help us um deliver the information a bit better so for example if you've listened to this episode and you're thinking i'd actually love to ask a bit more about that or i'd love to maybe see if there's any research on what they were talking about you know i'd like them to link a paper to me or whatever join the triage method community on facebook and that's basically our free open access facebook group so if you ever have a question or feedback or anything like that or a discussion that or you, you get triggered because if you get triggered i told you i get triggered when i listen to podcasts and i'm like oh man i, I had a point I wanted to jump in there i had my point to say they missed out on this key thing or they should have said it like this whatever if you're triggered and you want to put your point across join the group yeah and i think another thing to appreciate is that if you've never um been on a podcast or recorded a podcast you don't appreciate like how challenging it, it can be at times to get all of your points across in one flow of speech <laughs> without making some sort of mistake. So if we make some mistake, like just let us know. Like for example, one of the guys in the group, he mentioned something that we mentioned in the last episode that was just like a real subtle thing, but he was like, Hey, you actually said this in the podcast. Just wondering, could you clarify, is it this or this? And I was like, Oh yeah, actually, sorry. It was actually this. Um, so that's actually really good for your own understanding and for us to be like, all right, I need to remember clarify that next time we talk about that topic um but yeah join the triage method community like-minded people if you want to send in your training clips I'm more than happy to look at them give you feedback um even if you're like hey i have this program what do you think anything i can improve like i might be able to get feedback if i don't know your goals but there you go there might be something to that 
Of course, join the Triage Method newsletter or subscribe to the Triage Method newsletter. That goes out every Sunday um, with all the content we've posted across the week, some special offers. You get a discount when you sign up um, from, from our store and you get a discount in the store. And you also get recommended resources that we found from across the internet that will undoubtedly be of interest to you. And we have our services, as we said at the start, the online coaching um, spaces are available, group coaching. We also have spaces available in male or female options. We also have program templates and the beginner's guidebook. We just uploaded the two to six day program templates, which are basically the previous five eBooks um, put together at a discounted price. Um, so if, you, if you're just like, yeah, I wanna get the, the sweep all programs for every possible um, number of days, then I'm gonna, then that, that's potentially something you might want to get stuck into. Um, and the beginner's guidebook is basically the kind of, this is training and nutrition 101, everything I think that I would like to have known earlier on when I first got into the training and nutrition process. And that's even goes for people who have been training for a number of years, because very often we can get very far without really knowing what we're doing. And it's always nice to go back and review the basic principles that underlie what you do, because that's really what differentiates people when it comes to making effective decisions the further they get into their training career. Um, because there is a point where just working hard, it kind of you know, doesn't cut it, and you do need to understand the principles to some degree. Um, and yeah, we're available on other platforms as well. Um, you know, we, we're constantly putting up our YouTube content, and if you don't watch the podcast, you could watch the podcast on YouTube. Um, I watch a lot of podcasts on YouTube, especially when like cooking or something, just because YouTube is like always in my search bar. And I'm like, boom, yeah, podcast, boom, there. It's just on as opposed to going to iTunes. Open. The other one is this? Huh? Pornhub and the other one, you're just like, boom, yeah, just turn that on. Obviously, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, Laura comes in and I'm like, oh shit, turn that off, fuck. And then YouTube. Um, but actually, no, I'm not an absolute degenerate. It's disgusting. You ever discussed that? Oh. Um, none of our listeners would ever dare and watch porn because we do not approve of that oh no 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 it's disgusting um but yeah i think that is about everything of course subscribe to the youtube like us on facebook i don't really mind you i'd rather you just join the facebook group um twitter but that's basically just us reposting the content that we put out anyway um, you can follow me and Patty on instagram the real patty barrel and skinny guys um because we do post stuff there that doesn't go on any other platform because like realistically yeah, it's shit that goes on Instagram. Instagram, look, I'm gonna put it. Instagram is the shittest platform ever, right? Facebook, so much better. TikTok also seems to be so much better than Instagram. So I don't understand why anyone is left on Instagram. To be honest. Yeah, to be honest, I hate Instagram, but it's really just a case of path dependence at this point. It's like, yeah, I've got a load of of followers. It's it's an easily accessible platform. So like, if I want to do Q and A or something like. There's people there. And I mean, TikTok, I'm just, I don't have the mental capacity to take on anymore. You're too old. Gary doesn't understand technology. <laughs> too old at this point. Instagram's tough enough. It's funny, like, because I'm the older one, yet I'm more technologically astute than you. I can't wait till I'm like a proper, well, I suppose a boomer now is a state of mind. But anyway, I can't wait till I'm a, I'm a boomer. Um, if that's what we're going to be calling old people now, um, and I'm just going to be there fucking on my computer, just with probably fucking some implant in my brain at that stage, and I'll just be in my chair going. Um, but 
you'll be there like, Patrick, I brought you this papyrus scroll. Can you help me translate it into uh, that text speech? That'd be beautiful, man. I love that. All this all little, if we all read from scrolls, the chat. No. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up here because I'm going to Poland. I'm actually, I'm actually in Poland right now when this podcast comes out. Um, but I have to edit it loads because Gary's internet fucking cracks up about a million times all the time. So if you listen to this and it was a beautiful listening experience, you're welcome. If you didn't listen to it or if you did listen to it and it wasn't a beautiful listening experience, I'm not taking any blame. Give it all to Gary. <laughs> I'm actually convinced it's Zoom. So I think we might need to review. No, it's you. Because otherwise, like our internet, the internet's just like perfect. And the next thing it just goes. And just That's just, you live in Cork, right? And Cork has the capacity to, I'd say, maybe service five people with internet. Yeah, the problem is Cork is actually quite vast as a yeah, county. Well. Exactly. Well, it's not as vast as the Chad Dublin, which is basically five counties. Hola. Uh, like you were in fucking, where were you? Blanchestown? That's basically the distance between, it's basically the halfway the distance between Cork and Kerry. That's Blanchardstown. And it's still in Dublin from my house. So just saying. Cork is the biggest county in Ireland. I don't care. They don't have internet down there. You're talking about the greater Dublin area. I'm talking about the greater Dublin area, which is basically five counties. We are taking over. We are a virus. <laughs> a virus is fucking right. Anyway, right. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember that it is, in fact, too easy. Goodbye.